right, welcome guys. This is a three cheers for goaltender interference. We are your brave and handsome co-hosts, uh, Kat Silverman <laughs> and Michael Radigan. Uh, if you're if you're a longtime listener, you might notice uh, this is me, Cad, doing the intro today instead of Mikey because every time he's done it, he has somehow gotten my name wrong. Uh, he's called me by my Twitter handle. He has misspelled my Twitter handle, so <laughs> I'm giving it a shot here today. <laughs> if, you, if you're a new listener, uh, let me let me drop our Twitter links. <laughs> if you're a new listener, you can follow us on Twitter. Our podcast is at number three, cheers for goal number one. Uh, you can follow me, Kat, at, at Kat M. Silverman. You can follow Mikey at Mikey Rads. You can follow our lovely smart producer the only one of us with half a brain maxwell spar on twitter at maxwell spar mikey how are you doing tonight <laughs> all right you, you didn't have to show off this is like this is embarrassing i feel unprofessional <laughs> <laughs> i'm like sweating now because i I, I messed up thinking about all the times i messed up i'm fine i'm fine uh just you know Ugh, I'm like disgusted with myself. I'm, I want to go home. <laughs> Just remember, I'm the one who in our very first episode, which I'm hoping none of our current listeners actually listened to, I sound like I'm down a well the entire yeah. time. So we, we've started so, to come a long way. Now we're now we're on even even footing here. I I shouted at you from down a well for an episode. You got my name wrong a couple times. We're yes. good. Um, but well, yeah, yeah good. how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, September. Yes, it is September, right? Yes, it is September. We're a week into September. You should have made a wake me up when September ends joke. I don't like Green Day, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm okay. You should have made uh, a Green Day joke. <laughs> I know. Um, do you want to talk about who we have on our show today? Yeah. So we have a super fun guest lined up for you guys tonight. We have Wyatt Arndt. Uh, He's at the stanchion on Twitter. He's a, he's a really fun guy out of Vancouver, um, which for our listeners, um, I covered the Canucks periodically for the Canucks Army of the Nation Network for a handful of years. I still drop in and do spot coverage on their, their post games when they need it. But uh, I am not from Vancouver. My family's from East Canada. I grew up in the States, out in the East. Um, I am not a Canucks fan. I actually grew up a Bruins fan. Um, and so somehow a lot of Canucks fans really, really started to dislike that I was getting to cover them um, and that I was getting to point out that Jacob Markstrom used to have a really gnarly habit of uh, of allowing a goal in the first three minutes of the game and uh, got real mad at me. A couple of them tried to look me up online, tried to find my street address, my, my employer's phone numbers, stuff like that. It was really oh, very fun. Nice. Um, very yeah, nice. it, was, it was super good normal, stuff, but, but, but Nor- the normal the, stuff, normal the, stuff, normal stuff. Uh, but the good outcome of that is that I met a lot of really awesome people in the Vancouver media market. I met the late Jason Botford, um, got to hang out with him in a couple different drafts, got to hang out with him at a couple games, met uh, J.D. Burke, who had written for Canucks Army, now he's the editor-in-chief of uh, Elite Prospects, EP Rinkside, um, got to know the rest of the Vancouver crew through them and ended up meeting Wyatt, who has become one of my love-hate Twitter friends because he loves to send me memes of sad goalies. Yeah, I'll be out in the middle of like a three mile run, it's a hundred degrees outside in Phoenix. I'm sweating. I'm pissed off. I'll look at my phone and I'll have a notification and it'll be a, like a screenshot of a goalie who has just allowed a goal and looks heartbroken. Yeah. And that's like all he'll send me. <laughs> and he, he also writes for the athletic. Yes. Yes. He does their, their armies, which is their, um, it's their post games, which, for for our listeners who aren't um, who aren't Vancouver fans and didn't get to read Jason Bodgeford's work before his passing last year, um, they're they're probably the most unique market when it comes to post games. They uh, their post games aren't just rundowns. They aren't necessarily analytical. They're these giant grab bags, kind of like what Sean McIndoe used to do before he sold out. Um, 
when he wrote for Grantland and he'd just throw everything all into one, like fun tweets, obscure stories, funny videos of fights from the 70s, a little bit of commentary on the games from the night before, a couple jokes. Um, and so that's what that's what Wyatt does now. He sort of took over for, for Jason. He used to do spot coverage, and now he took over full-time upon Jason's passing. Um, so he gets to do these really neat post games where he just, like, roasts the Canucks for... 4,000 words, tosses in some memes and gifts, and uh, it's hilarious. He's super fun, so so I'm super excited for you guys to, to hear what he has to say about Vancouver, who, as we know, is one of the teams that has been eliminated from the bubble. They've been ousted. They're back in the real world. We are down to four. Yeah, uh, so yeah, we're down to the conference finals. We have Vegas... Uh, who beat Vancouver uh, in the previous round? We have Vegas and Dallas, and their their series uh, after tonight is tied 1-1. Who knows what it'll be after this goes up? Um, and then the Islanders and Tampa are Tampa is leading one to nothing in that series. So conference finals are condolences, right? thoughts and prayers. Um, uh, it's fine. <laughs> that, they was, were, that was a game. That okay. So like I said in the interview, Islanders went to seven with Philly. They had a double overtime game in game six. Then a day, uh, you know, that was a Thursday. Saturday, they play game seven in Philly. Then have to fly across, you know, Canada to from Toronto to Edmonton. And then have a, you know, that was on their one off day. Then they go and play game one against Tampa uh, on Monday night. Uh, yeah, it's they'll make adjustments. Every, the Islanders have lost, I think, uh, before Monday, they lost five games a whole postseason that includes the knockout round and they lost all games by a goal every game they lost it was only by a goal so i think they're due for a stinker but tampa's very good tampa's the best team they play they look scary but i i think the islanders are a really well coached team i like either of their goalies to bounce back varlamov or grice uh both have been very pretty solid throughout these playoffs so i think it'll i don't think every game's going to be eight to two also (laughs) just I have to say an insane stat that I've never heard before in my life uh, about that 8-2 game for the Islanders. This was insane. Uh, Hang on, I'm looking it up. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, I found it. I found it. Tampa Bay went 58 minutes and 53 seconds of the game. The game is 60 minutes, obviously. So they went 58 minutes and 53 seconds without missing the nets when they took a shot. I saw that. I what? saw that. That's wild to me. That's not possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> Apparently it is. <laughs> I have never seen anything like that. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to hit the shot, uh, hit the net on every shot next game or any time throughout the series. If they do, I will eat my hat. Like, uh, So they're an incredibly skilled team. I think the Islanders do have their work cut out for them. But I think I think it's a series that could go six or seven uh, so, and I, I trust Barry Trotz to make the proper adjustments, but, um, yeah, that was, that was tough to watch. It was the first time I've seen the Islanders in a conference finals really in my life. Last time was when I was three in 1993. I like very, very vague memories of it, but not really. Um, so that, that wasn't fun, but you know, it, it hopefully, uh, it was a character builder for them going for the rest of the series. I think every team is going to have a big stinker during these playoffs. I mean, I think that in years past, we've had a couple teams that maybe didn't have, you know, maybe they had a slightly poor game, but they didn't have like a, a stinker where you're like, what are they doing? But yeah. 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 And I think every team has had one during the playoffs this year. And it, for, for Coyotes fans, because I know a few of our listeners are are Coyotes fans. I think that's kind of reassuring because I, I think it just goes to show just how different these playoffs are that every single team has had trouble focusing because a game that's as bad as as the Islanders was on you know during their first game of the conference final uh Vancouver had a few of them the Coyotes had two Dallas, of them um Dallas had, had a few had, holy Dallas shit Dallas had, Dallas, had more, a few. Uh, Dallas had the one where uh, the Avalanche scored five straight goals in the first period or whatever, like, yeah. uh, in and, the previous And round. that was the game directly after the Avalanche didn't take a shot for 18 minutes sure. and it's, I think it was 26 seconds. Yeah, it's they, wild. They went down 3 nothing in the first 10 minutes of the game and didn't take a single shot until 
a minute and a half left in, in the first period, like every single team has shown just how hard it is to focus during, during sure. these playoffs. And I, I think had, that's yeah, you had Calgary who's facing elimination in a game six against Dallas in the first round, go up three to nothing. Dallas, I think oh. only, had, like, only had a couple shots, maybe not even a shot. Then Milan Lucic takes a dumbass penalty and Dallas scores on a, uh, the power play, and then they—I think they score six or seven straight after that. And ended up winning six three or seven yeah. three or whatever. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's it's uh it's yeah it's a strange. Play. It's exciting. It's entertaining. But I think you know as stinkers argue, that's not taking anything away from Tampa Bay. I do think top to bottom they are the best team left right now. Um, but I think all four teams are beatable. If that makes sense. Uh, yeah. No, that makes I, that makes perfect sense what i'm saying is either team could any of these four teams whoever makes the stanley cup i would be like i'm not surprised watching these playoffs like that makes if dallas wins i'd be like that makes sense vegas wins that makes sense Tampa wins like you know what i mean it's Mm -hmm. none of it would surprise me i would i would i wouldn't think it's a total shocker but have you have you watched the dallas vegas series at all that's that's had some pretty good uh goaltending uh (laughs) hey now um (laughs) I've watched I've watched some bits and pieces. Uh, my daughter had the game on this afternoon while I was eat, while I was making dinner for her. Um, I I don't think it's the best goaltending we've seen in the playoffs so far. I mean, Leonard had a shutout. It's been good. It's been Let, very good. Um, Leonard had a shutout today tonight, and then uh, I mean, Kadobe, the first game was one nothing, and yeah. Mark. On- Mark Andre Fleury, who's a, apparently survived his sword wound. Um. <laughs> I mean, I still think that Thatcher Demko's performances for for Vancouver. Yes. And then absolutely. Eunice Corpusalo's performances for Columbus. Those are gonna those are gonna go down as the best goaltending we've seen in the playoffs, like just hands down, because those were onslaughts by the other teams. Yes. I, I think Thatcher Demko got hazed. Uh, Eunice Corposalo, he he made what ninety six saves, um, yeah, something some... stupid like that. But but no, it's it's been good. We've just seen some really bizarre flow in in those games. Uh, I've I've been waiting to see like an all out sixty minutes, and I I didn't get to see the first game, so I don't know if we saw more of it. But this this game. This uh, I think when I stopped watching, it was three nothing. Um, in favor of Vegas, uh, it just it wasn't that Vegas looked aggressively elite. They looked good, but it was Dallas just looked kind of confused. Yeah, Dallas looked Dallas. taking shots. They didn't look as bad as Vancouver did in their elimination game, but like they just they they looked like a team in the middle of a season, not a team in the middle of the playoffs. Yeah, I can see that uh, for Dallas. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think Vegas. I don't think in this conference finals yet. It's only been two games. Vegas has been firing on all cinder, cylinders, and that's probably because they just were. For, they had to do that for like four straight games or whatever against uh, the Canucks. You know what I mean? Like to finally right. beat Dem- to finally beat Demko, who was just like obviously it was a brick wall for the two games he played. Game, was it game six and seven? Or was it five, six, and seven? It was five, six, and seven, right? He, I think it was five, six, and seven. Yeah. yeah. And he he was. He was unbeatable almost. Like uh, he was so good. He was so yeah. incredibly good. So before we cut to our interview, um, I do want to ask you. So Varlamov and Grice, both you know, pros, pros goalies. Varlamov has played a majority of the playoffs uh, for the Islanders, and he's played pretty well. He's played well. Um, Grice did win them Game Seven against Philly. Both played in Game One against Tampa. Neither of them played well. You really can't particularly blame any. Like, no one played well, but who would you go with in game two? That's tough. Because, um, I mean, looking back at Varlamov's career history, I don't think he's a guy that you ride hard. I think he's a guy who plays his best when he gets a little bit of time to rest, and these playoffs yeah. have not given him that. And he's looked great. Like, he's had he's had some really good games. But I... I don't want to see them reach a point where he has to play every game of the conference final and then potentially make it to the Stanley Cup and have him just gassed. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I mean, 
I don't know you if you play Grace and he happens to not play as well in game two, you're down to nothing. And then you have to go back to and Varlamov. then going back to Varlamov. And so it's it's tough. I I think that I would probably play Grice just so, to give Varlamov a little bit of an extra break because he does. He plays better when he's had a chance to rest and recuperate like that's just historically that's how he's played. He plays better when he gets a little bit more rest. Um but I, I I agree with you like a hundred percent. When the Islanders started off, they you know at the beginning of the season they went on their like you know seventeen game point streak. They were going back and forth between Grice and Varlamov. You know they they it was like split every single game. Grice would start one, Varlamov would start one. Grice would start one, Varlamov would start one. So I think that's and both goalies were playing particularly well, but I think that's especially true for Varlamov. He played great against Florida. He played well against the Capitals. Philly, he had some good games, but then he started to falter. You saw him falter a little bit, and, uh, and that's why they went with Grace in Game 7. So, And I think Grace is a little more aggressive in his crease. He comes out a little more and is a little more aggressive, and I think that's what you kind of need against this Tampa team. I think you need to be kind of aggressive. So I, I think aggress- uh, Grace is more of a bit of aggressive goalie, so I would, I would go with him for Game 2 and try to see what happens and hope he can steal that game. And then maybe you go back to... A rotation but I don't know that's tough that's that's a good point you know just before we before we get to the interview you talk about that that need to be aggressive and not necessarily depth wise but I think in terms of explosiveness and crispness against sure. Tampa you have to be as crisp as possible and yeah and that's the more important thing to me is Varlamov when he's tired does not look crisp I just yeah, I don't play, think he, he does. plays too far. He plays too far in the back of the net. I feel like too, and I think you know Tampa. They, uh, I mean, they have explosive forwards, but a lot they do have, get a lot of offense from those defensemen. And when you're having guys, you know, blast like Hedman blasted from, from the point, I want my goalie out at the top of the crease. You know what I mean? Ooh, I I kind of disagree on that. I I'd rather really? see a goalie, yeah, against Tampa because they have so they. They have such good vision, right? They're a team that their yeah, forwards have been playing together for so long, and we've seen them sneak behind the goalie and tap it in backdoor how many times? I mean, Nikita Kucherov is unbelievable at scooping yeah. up those rebounds, circling behind the net, and then, like, tossing it in off the goalie's shoulder. Like, well, I I wouldn't want to play out too far against Tampa. I'd I'd want to play a little bit more of a conservative style just because they do they're they're so relentless on those rebounds. And yeah, they're able I guess I'm to just talking about like the they're good at they're also very good at deflections too in front of the net too. Yeah. I feel like so it's like I guess it's just pick your poison with them. The the main thing is they're the Islanders defense has to be better at uh, limiting high danger chances, which they've been good at all see- all playoffs b- besides, you know, game one. So I think regardless of who you put in there, if you're limiting their chances, which is very hard against Tampa, but, you know, their D has to step up regardless who's in that. I think that's fair. I think that's yeah. very fair. All right. Should we get to this interview? I think we should. All right. We'll be back in a few. So with us today, we have uh, the current writer of the armies for the Athletic Vancouver. Uh, we have Wyatt Arndt. Am I saying your name correctly? You nailed it. You did it. You did it. I did. Yes. <laughs> yes. Every time I say your name on air, I, I sort of mumble once I get to your last name because I'm not sure how those consonants all flow together. Um, so Wyatt, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm good. Getting some rest finally. That schedule is a bit uh, hectic to write, but yeah, it's a fun run to, to cover. That's for sure. Yeah, what was that like? Uh, just just getting to cover multiple rounds of the Canucks in the playoffs. <laughs> we haven't seen that in what? How many years now? Uh, 2015 was the last time, and that was uh, the unfortunate loss to the Flames, in which Michael Furlan got his uh, big series against Vancouver that we've never forgotten about. Uh, neither did <laughs> Benning. Um, so yeah, it's been a while. It was fun. Like I've obviously I've written with the Canucks for a while, but it's always kind of been in like a spot duty uh, behind uh, Jason Botchford. Uh, so uh, the fortunate passing now I've been kind of thrust into the starting role. And so covering the playoffs, it was writing, you know, especially with the COVID uh, schedule, it's writing every other night. 
uh, and you know, back to back, we saw like three back to back games for Vancouver in the playoffs, uh, which didn't create the greatest hockey in that second game. But overall, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and for Vancouver, especially a market that's kind of had you know these really really down years. Uh, just seeing the young core kind of being the engine that kind of fueled all of this was very exciting. So you can see like Vancouver, who's a fan base that's been dying for Cup forever, just to kind of have a bit of a glimpse of a, a future that they might possibly have is uh, yeah, definitely it was very fun to cover. And they were fun three, too. Did they? You said they had three back to backs throughout the whole playoffs. Yeah, they had two. I think they had three total. And there was uh, one in the Minnesota series, I want to say, or was it St. Louis possibly? And then they had the Vegas after the. Protest, and then I think they had one before that. Maybe I'm yes. off. But I know for sure they had two for sure. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know they had. I, I remember obviously the game six and seven against yeah. uh, Vegas. Wow, that's that's nuts. For I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like. Obviously, it's you know unprecedented uh, what they're doing right now. But I've never seen anything like that for teams have to do that many back to backs during a playoff stretch. Yeah, and it's like the fact that even if Vancouver had gone through and you saw it with Vegas, who did go through, they played again, you know, a day later. Like, it's intense, and I yeah, worry about the injuries, insane. right? Yeah, like, especially the goalies. Like, it, it really helps teams to have, you know, like, look at Vegas having Flurry and Laner. Like, what a great situation for a team that's running into back-to-back games and has to play every other day. Like, that's – and look at Vancouver itself, Markstrom and Demko. They were lucky to have Demko there, right? So it's uh, end up being yeah. beneficial, for sure. And so – so talk to us a little bit more about that uh, that Markstrom Demko situation. That uh, I I think I talked to a couple of the guys over at Sportsnet right before that back to back, and they were saying, you know, what's the realistic chance that we're going to see both both Markstrom and Demko? And I was like, we're not. <laughs> like, there's no reason to. Uh, it would take the Canucks losing very badly to really need to or winning very decisively to really need to put Demko in there. And then, of course, Markstrom got hurt, and we kind of had to see Demko. And, and what was that like for for you guys? To Did did you expect that that was going to – obviously not the injury, but did you think that we were going to have to see Demko at all during this playoff series? Like you said, like I think Vancouver is, has been committed to Markstrom all season. They've been a lot of work with him. Like when he first came here, I remember letting in – you know, the first shot in net and, and his entire career has kind of been like him trying to chase down that number one goalie status. But his work with Ian Clark has obviously paid off tremendously and he's really turned into one of the Canucks best players. And the fact that we were even in a position to be in the play in uh, playoffs, play in, we want to call it was because Markson played so well, especially with this team. Holy Lord, did the Canucks give up a lot of chances. Like, they really play with fire the way they play. Like, their defense is not good. And Markstrom, you know, excelled in that. I think, like, well, I don't know what the stat was, but he lit in, like, very, very, very few clear sight goals. Um, and he was very good at high danger chances. And he's he's been tremendous for the Canucks. So I for sure thought the Canucks would roll with him. The only time I thought we'd see Demko is if they got maybe were getting blown out and they wanted to give Markstrom a rest. Um, and so that's the only time I thought we'd see him. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Markstrom injury. They got to start Demko. I mean, I thought the Canucks were going to lose in five. I mean, no, they looked tired. I thought that's all they had left. And Demko hadn't played in a while. Uh, and, you know, I know you've talked glowingly of your son to me in the past during the season when I talked to you about him. Uh, but for him to come in and play that way, that, that is, I said online, like, that's the best three-game stretch I've seen from any Canuck goalie I've, I've ever watched. Like, he just played. He was in the zone. He was playing really well. And, yes, the team did a decent job of clearing up the second chances, but they still lit up a lot of them. And Vegas is a very good team. And without Demko net, those games would have been over early. So uh, it was definitely for a city that's been sitting back and kind of planning the future of like having the big debate, like, do you commit five years to Markstrom? Um, is he the right goalie for this team? If you have to spend that much money on him, do they have the, the cap space even to do that? Uh, you know, they still, you see the MVP from Mark, season for Markstrom. It's hard to move away from that. Then you have Demko come out and put on these three games. And, yeah, it's a small sample size, don't get me wrong, but you see him come up in the biggest situation and kind of put a stamp on that series. People in this city are going to remember that performance for a long time. Um, and so I think Demko opened up a lot of eyes, and I know he has a lot of fans in Vancouver anyways, but just that performance he put on was I, one of those things that's going to enter Canucks playoff lore. And this isn't like Demko is some career, you know, some guy that's spent a lot of time in the AHL. He's not a career AHLer that's come up and do this. He's had, like, I've... I love college hockey. He was great in Boston College. He was, you know, I I think he won the Mike Richter Award there one year. And, I mean, looking at his AHL numbers, he was pretty decent in the AHL too, which, you know, can always be a little rough for a young goalie just because the defense in front of them isn't the best. So he he is like a – he's a very solid young goalie, I feel like, that has uh, like a a good future. And it wasn't kind of out of – like he set a rookie record, right? I get that first game he played against uh, Vegas. 
with like the shutout or whatever. Like I don't, I don't think it. It wasn't like a AHLer that's like he's gonna come back down to the norm basically. Yeah, it's not like Michael Layton's jumping a net and taking you to the finals. Yeah, right? exactly. Right, like it's <laughs> yeah. it's a kid you can rely on. And and the thing is like. Especially with, uh, with uh, Demko, we've kind of seen like throughout his career, he kind of starts a bit slow in his new surroundings, and he, he figures it out real quick. That's kind of what we've kind of seen. And so I think for him, like you, you have like a history of him kind of getting his spots. Like the HL, you said he kind of struggled a bit early on, but then he figured it out. And I think in Vancouver, what better place to be with a guy that can help you tinker your game than Ian Clark? I think he kind of loves his game, loves his style, and he can, you know, look what it kind of paid off. And for Canucks fans who, you know, obviously when you have the season Markstrom had, um, people are going to like really like that guy and say, you know, how can we move on? Like, especially when you see that with this, the style Vancouver plays, like you need that goal. You can save your, your butt. Then you see Demko step in and give you those three games. I think it definitely kind of opens your mind. You'd be like, well, maybe they can move on from Markstrom. You know, maybe there is a path down that way. Cause a lot of times people would say like, you can't go to Demko. He's not ready. He's not ready. Well, he showed the world that maybe he is. So it's definitely uh, started a big conversation in Vancouver. So if you do hypothetically move on from Markstrom, let's say he does insist on, you know, Five years, uh, big money. I know I've seen up in that six mil plus tossed around a little bit. I don't know how realistic that would even be. Um, let's say he insists on that, moves on. You have Demko as your number one. Having watched more of the team than I did, and I watched way too much of the Canucks this past <laughs> year anyway, but you you caught it all. What what would you do as your number two? Would you bring up Mikey DiPietro? Would you keep Louis Domingue around? Uh, I know he's he's a great guy in the room. He's a great guy in the in the hotel kitchen. Uh, but do you do you keep someone like that as your morale boosting backup? Do you bring up the young guy, or do you think the Canucks would would entertain bringing in almost like what they did with Ryan Miller there, where they have a guy for two or three years who's nearing those twilight years of his career, kind of like what Miller's doing down in Anaheim now. Do you do something like that? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to keep Louie around for the baking. I think anyone who can bake you a pie to lift your spirits is, is valuable. Um, but <laughs> I think when it comes to Jim Betting, he, you, as you bring up Brian Miller, great point. I think he is very much the kind of guy who leans on veterans. And I don't think he's wrong in this case, too. Like, if you're going to go into next season, as, as great as Demko did, that was just three games. And I think any goalie, you don't really want to ride for like 70 games. I don't think you want to go to Demko and say, well, now you've got 70 games to play. Uh, I think having a veteran you can rely on would be the number one move for this team. I definitely would see them going out. There's a lot of goalies in the market for next season. Uh, even someone like yeah. you know, Thomas Thomas Grice would be a great fit, the 34-year-old goalie. He's put up solid numbers. So I think 100%, if they go Demko, they are investing the 2 $3 million in a veteran backup. And I think Di Pietro is going to have more time to season in the AHL, for sure. That, so that's, I was just going to bring up the... Yeah, the goalie market this year. Do you think Markstrom is going to get the most out of all goalies? I mean, you have Holpe out there as well. I feel like those two are going to command the biggest contracts out of uh, both goalies available. Yeah, I mean, Holpe probably has the pedigree of the cup. That In hockey, if you've won a cup, even on the fourth line, you get an extra million dollars. This is the rules. <laughs> so I assume that he'll get more money, but I think Markstrom is going to lead the charge. Even like look at someone like team like Calgary, you know, what happened to them? Like, there are teams that had goaltending that let them down, and whether it's them panicking or them just, you know, looking at one playoffs and overreacting, I think teams are going to try and to lock in a goaltender. But, you know, with a flat cap, how much are people going to spend on goaltending? And with so many goalies available, is that money out there? So it actually might be one of those cases where Markstrom can't find that money he wants. There's not as much money to spend now. I think he likes the situation in Vancouver a lot. Vancouver likes him a lot. So I think if anything, like, they're going to do a lot to try and make it happen. And I do think Markson will be back next year. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a case where I think next year, especially with that season and the schedule, like it would really help the Canucks if they could somehow convince Demko to stay one more year just to help us out and like, we'll give you more games and kind of see what you can get out of that season. I mean, what if you bring in a veteran like Mike Smith? Well, why would you say that? Why would, why would you want to make a point about that guy? <laughs> he scares me. <laughs> Uh, I, I had to, you guys are talking about the free agents on the market and like nobody mentioned everyone's favorite angry goalie because uh, we've seen some characters go through Vancouver I mean Bobby Lou that's a character uh Eddie Lack that's a character I think Markstrom's even like an underrated character but I don't think they've had anyone that's got the stare that Mike Smith has and maybe that's the edge they're missing have you considered that? I mean, I mean, he draws penalties, maybe. Um, 
definitely <laughs> makes it more exciting in his own crease, that's for sure. Um, he's flopping. I watched him for, what, four years here in Arizona? Master flopper. Amazing at it. Markstrom, like, I remember in the World Juniors, I remember just hating Markstrom because he was he was flopping like crazy. Like, he made me so mad. And he's finally got that out of his system. Uh, and then Mike Smith will come back along and get him back on the on the habit. We can't have that. Like, we got to stay away from that. we got to move away from that. We're growing yeah. up. And somebody asked, by the way, if Wyatt were a goalie headed into the third, tied 0-0 in Game 7 of the finals, and he got one intermission snack, what would it be? I would be so nervous and about to throw up that I could only have water. I couldn't eat anything. I used to be playing in net, like in ball hockey and roll hockey when I was younger. And I just, the pressure of it, I would get so mad at myself that I did think what all goalies do when they finally get done with goaltending. I just became a forward and realized how much easier life is. You're like, oh my God, the stress is bad. It was a game. It's not my fault. It's the goalie's fault. And so, uh, yeah, I don't think I could eat anything. It'd be too much. I would be a bundle of nerves. It would be water. I like that. Uh, we, we did get one other question, by the way, uh, Katie Lowe asked us if you've ever lost faith. Oh, have you forever lost faith in prediction cats? Are they, are you done with prediction cats? Cause not only the original prediction cat, but interim prediction cat myself have gotten, gotten things pretty right. I mean, you stepped up. I mean, the problem was, it was on me. Like, you know, as long as it's like <laughs> brunette cats or like dark-haired cats is fine it was the red cat that like that orange tabby like that was on me for trusting it like that's like a garfield sitting right there and why are three cats sitting together just staring at each other in the first place something was weird about that entire situation why would you trust the ginger like right? with no me. disrespect to to cory schneider why would you trust the ginger yeah. on me it's on me so i trust uh yeah i trust the black and white cat still all right i'll i'll take that um <laughs> So we, we talked about the goalies, we talked about Markstrom, we talked about my large adult son, Thatcher Demko. We got to talk about my other large adult son, my, my large adult beer-chugging son, uh, Jake Vertanen. Uh, bless his heart, what's, what's going what's gonna to happen with him? If you're, if you're a betting man, is he with the Canucks next year? Do they give him a chance to start somewhere else? Do you think he... I, I would say, do you think they'll give him the summer to to shape things up but obviously i mean it's not going to be a summer it's going to be an indeterminate fall off season of some kind that'll take place somewhere that we don't know i mean what what do you do if you're jim bending and i know that's a hard mind to get inside of but what do you do about jake Vertanen there I think there are a lot more reasons to move on from Jake Vertanen than there are to keep him in Vancouver. Um, let's, let's go over them. One, like I think having less distractions from not playing in your hometown is is a good thing for him to be out of the city. Uh, I think you saw, if you saw her today, like Jim Benning talking about how he expected more out of Jake, which is probably the worst thing he's ever said about Vertanen. We, like it's felt like he's been <laughs> like precious child this entire time, and that was the first time he's like maybe a bit disappointed in what Jake brought. Um, if you're going to be, you know, selling high in Jake, now's the time because he did put up points last year, and um, so maybe you get something for him. For a team that's facing a lot of salary cap issues, where they got to try and find out where pieces fit, are you going to want to pay three or four million dollars for Jake for Tandon if you can't trust his production? Um, I don't necessarily think Travis Green is a huge fan of his um, at times. <laughs> so I'm not trying to like I'm not trying to like crap all over Jake. <laughs> I know it sounds terrible, but because a lot of fans love him here, they do. Like every, you talk with Jake, if you want to get an argument in Vancouver, bring up Jake Vertanen because people love the kid. Some people think he's like, give him time, give him first line time, and he'll like get those goals and look at his point production. He'll bring up the most like insane stats you've ever heard of just to kind of prove that he's a, a great player. And maybe he does get better, but I think at this point, at this age, we kind of know what Jake is, and he's not that powerful that goes to the net. He's not a guy that's going to get those dirty rebounds. Like he is a perimeter player who has, you know, takes true. low. Yeah, low risk shots for like from I don't know why he does them from the corner. Um, like he does, he'll take a shot from like you know the far corner it goes in. And everyone's like, oh great, but then he does it eight more times. It's like no, Jake, that's not. <laughs> just win once, don't do that. Um, so yeah, I think I would say if I am a betting man, I don't think his future is in Vancouver. So let's say they move on from him. What what do you think happened there? Because I remember when they when they drafted him, it was kind of. It was a little high, right? Wasn't, wasn't high. necessarily where, where he, he could have been drafted. Um, but I would have pegged him as maybe maybe not the 30-goal season Milan Lucic, but a guy who could play like that. I mean, not not particularly fast, maybe not as gritty as some of the other players, but pretty powerful and, and aggressive and 
it seems like he somewhere along the line just kind of lost that. And what what do you think happened there? Because he, he seems like a likable kid and he seems like he wants to try hard. I don't think it's a lack of effort on his part from from what we see on the outside. He seems like he loves the game, but but something clearly dropped off there, so to speak. Yeah, and you get a point. Like he's not out there maliciously trying to hurt the team or not taking like coming to camp out of weight. I just think he's just a kid that doesn't have the tool set that like you know some of the other players do of like the high hockey IQ. And you can see it when he plays on the ice, he's not necessarily adjusting as quickly as other players do. And you can see JT Miller's really took him under his wing this season, just kind of like telling. And he says after every time Jake has a good game, like he's good when he plays simple. Like he has to keep his game very simple, and that's when he's at his best. And We've seen games where once in a while we're like, is this Jake's coming out party? Like, he'll go to the net and he'll get, use his speed. Because he has north-south speed when he gets it going. Uh, but we don't see it every game. And I think that's one of the things Travis Green said today. Like, he needs more consistency from Jake Vertanen. And you do. Especially if you're, like, saying, hey, put him on the top two lines. You need him to be not just producing goals, but it's, like, the same consistent effort. Like, Charlie Hustle, uh, Tyler Mott. Everyone loved Tyler Mott's postseason because he's always hustling. He's always – the effort level is always there. And that's not always necessarily the case with Jake. And I think for him – He's a kid in junior where he had the size, and you kind of saw it with like bring up a Steve Bernier type player. When you're a big kid in junior and you're out, you know, outweighing the other your opposition, you can kind of it's easy. You can kind of get away with like just running them over, and you don't really have to adjust. And I think once he got to the big NHL, it wasn't easy to hit players, and he had a couple of shoulder injuries early on in his career, and maybe that kind of took some of the oomph out of his hitting game. And he's not the same player because he did. He used to hit a lot in junior, and that was kind of one thing that got people excited. This young kid from Abbotsford, and you know, he's gonna go out and like start trucking people in the corners. It just never came to be. So uh, he's just, I think you have to accept the, him for what he is. And he's a guy that can be your third line or maybe you get a second line out of him for a couple of years. Um, I'd love to be proven wrong if he has a great you know season wherever, here or wherever. But it's just, I've seen a lot of Jake play. And I just think he's just never going to be that smart player that you want out of him to be a top guy. You, you mentioned, I mean, this is like three-fourths of the league now. It's going to be kind of in cap hell a little bit uh, just with the flat cap. Uh, but you mentioned, you know, their Canucks defense did not look good, that great in front of uh, Markstrom and uh, Demko. What uh, do you see them going after any free agent defensemen at all, or even with their cap situation, do you think it'll be possible, even if they're able to move a forward or two, like you mentioned? I hope that I mean, if anyone saw the end of that Vancouver series, even if they had beaten Vegas, I didn't want to see them play that style of hockey again. Like it wasn't good for the game. <laughs> like it was, oh my god, Game Seven was depressing. They had like at one point, Ty Myers hunched over and just like glided towards the zone while a guy took a shot in front of the net. Like they were spent, they were done. And a lot of the reason for that is because their defense and forwards like they couldn't get the puck out of their zone. There was no transition game. And so what happened was you run into a big team in Minnesota, they beat up on you. You run to St. Louis, who was bigger and skilled than Minnesota. Then you run into Vegas, who's bigger, skilled, and faster than those two teams. And they kept hitting Vancouver. Kept hitting. And Vancouver is not, not another small team, but they don't finish a lot of their checks. So they're not going to wear you down either, right? So all of a sudden, Vancouver is like in like an MMA fight. They're like Every other team was working their body, working their body. And eventually, they just ran out of gas. And a lot of that has to do with their defense, and their transition game. And like, you know, Chris Tanev, love him, hero for this team. He's been a warrior, but... He takes a lot of hits to help Quinn Hughes out, but he's not a guy that's going to be, you know, bring a lot of speed to your game. Alex Edler is getting slower. His gap control is getting worse. And again, these are all guys that have played great for Vancouver, but they were back there in 2011. It's been a long time in this league. They've yeah. taken a lot of hits. Yeah, been there since 2011. Yep. He was there in wow. 2011. So they've all been like they've been yeah. here a while, and they're slowing down. And we need you need speed in this league. You're seeing it. Look at Shea Theodore and what he's doing with Vegas. Even look at Nate Schmidt, what he's doing. Like there's so many defensemen now where speed is just such a huge element to be able to get the puck out of your zone. And you, you know, like that's why I'm a little bit. Uh, dejected that the Canucks lose Troy Stetcher. I think he's a very, it's not that he's super fast, but he, he's decent, he's agile, and he learns, and he's a guy that I think would help that team, but he might cap himself out at a three to four million dollar contract. So I think it's vital they do get more defense. I think today uh, Harmon and Thomas Drance put in a great article looking at someone like Travis uh, Hamannick. Hamannick would be a great fit. They need to find someone that can like be a bit like Tanov to this team, but also move the puck. <laughs> like, because again, watch Game Seven. It was so horrifying to watch this team not be able to get a zone. Their bottom six, which we haven't even touched on, is a horrifying black hole of a mess of contracts of players that are slow and can't get the puck out. So, like How this team. Talk about <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I know. Yeah. But when this team beats you, it's like they beat you either because their goaltending was on fire or their top six like just outsniped you, which they can do. But they're not going to wear you down over a series. They're not going to outhit you. You have all the time in the world to like beat up on them. So it's just. It's not conducive to having a long run with this team unless you start fixing that bottom six and that defense. So I I have to ask, because you mentioned Tyler Myers, and that's a guy who, when when Vancouver signed him, I found that a little strange um, because they 
gotten rid of Alex Goodbranson, right? Like I thought they were done with, or Eric Goodbranson. I thought they were done with that. Right. And then they brought in Tyler Myers, who's like somehow bigger and also slower. And, but I was kind of intrigued. I, I have a soft spot for Tyler Myers. He's got like the world's longest neck. He's sure. seems like a really nice dude. He tries really hard. Super but nice guy. He was, he was working with Adam Francilia, the guy who works with a uh, Connor Halibut and he works with, um, works with Thomas Grace. He works with a bunch of goaltenders, Devin Dubnik, uh, but he also works with a couple skaters who have unique biomechanical makeup, right? He works with these guys who need a little bit of extra help to train themselves to stay away from injuries and to play the game that they want to, which at times Tyler Myers loves to break free. Like that guy loves to fly up into the offensive zone. And it seems like if that had worked using Francilia to get Myers where he needed to be, maybe that could have worked, but I I didn't see that. And I know I I commented on Tyler Myers online. A couple Canucks fans got super mad at me because it seems like he has a couple stands out there. Uh, well, was I missing something? Because every time I watched him, like putting the penalties aside, it just seemed like like the conditioning wasn't there. And it seems like like Chris Tanev is slow. It seemed like Tyler Myers was somehow slower. And that baffles me because that didn't seem to be what they needed. Yeah, Tyler Myers, when he first joined the team, him and Edler uh, had like a first 20 games were honestly fantastic. Underlying numbers were great. They were looking great. Um, but again, that, a lot of that relies on, you know, old man Edler hadn't played hockey in a while and actually had some rest. But then season wore him down. He couldn't support it anymore. Um, Ty Myers is at his best when he's like swashbuckling through the offensive zone. He can do fun stuff there. Uh, when he gets going, he can kind of like push the puck out of his zone. He's good at zone exits when he gets going. But he also has a weird inherent belief in his abilities to overcome everything. So he'll be <laughs> there and be like, oh, I can dance around that guy. Nope. Oh, okay. No, I can get that guy. Oh, I can't. Like his gap control blows me away for a guy that's like, you know, nine foot eight. Like he just cannot. Huge. Yeah, he's huge. And he doesn't use like I remember Sammy Salah was one of the best at using a stick. Just kind of like knowing yeah. how to use that stick in that range. And Myers just doesn't I don't think do I've it. ever seen Tyler Myers use his stick correctly. He, doesn't. he just like looks at the guy yeah. and like stands with them. I don't get it. Like <laughs> he's, just a, he's a big, tall guy. Here's why people like him, because he hits. He gets mad once in a while and he'll dr- he'll crush someone in the corner. And there's a lot of people who be like, that's what we need. And again, like I, I do bring it up. Like, I do think that. It's good to have a guys that can like finish checks and, and like you know impose your will on the other guy because it does it wears you out over a series. Um, but Tyler Myers is kind of does what Good Branson does. Sometimes he goes out of his way to make a hit. Uh, sometimes he does the cross check after the goal goes in. Like it's not necessarily at the right times to do the hits. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, not actually like his timing seems off. And like you said, I he that game seven he looked exhausted. Whether it was because he was injured, he still hadn't fully recovered, or he was just still get into game shape, he looked completely out of gas. He looked like he had nothing to give. Um, obviously the team trusted him enough more than Jordy Ben, but it looked like he just was, you know, lost out there. And a lot of people said coming into his contract, like, Hey, like Winnipeg fans tried to warn us and other teams like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. And a lot of fans were aware of that. Like, Oh, maybe you shouldn't, but the team's defense was so bad the year before that he was an upgrade. He was, but you've also committed a lot of term to him. And I bring up another name that Drantz and Dial talked about today about Canuck targets, Tyson Berry, the Canucks of you know, loved Barry for years. They've always wanted him, but that's another guy. And I like him too, but that's another defenseman that, you know, he can create a lot of offense for you, but he's also a guy that can bleed shots against. And Tyler Myers is a guy that also can bleed shots against. So now you've got a team that is in dire need of, of a, a defenseman that can shut it down in his own zone. And Myers isn't the answer, but now you've spent, you know, your tons of money on him. You can't now go after a Barry who I would have preferred over a Myers. So now you're kind of stuck trying to fix this defense with the two to $3 million players that, trying to find guys that can fit in those spots because you spent so much money on Tyler Myers. But Jim Benning, he honestly, just loves tall D-men. He loves them. He cannot get away from them. It's his addiction. So, or, you may, know, I, uh, may I suggest Cody Cece for the Canucks? <laughs> <laughs> we just arrived at Branson. We've got to go through Myers. We, just, we can't go through Cece. <laughs> like, it's, I'm pining for That's how bad it is. Like, I loved Luke Shen in Vancouver. He was cheap and hit and fine if he was bad, but he was only a million dollars. Like, if you want to get a hitting defenseman, there's your boy, right? Like, I don't know. Luke Shen was baffling to watch because he was, he came through Arizona too, and he looked like someone who had the hockey IQ, but someone had scared him out of making decisions at some point in his career. So he, like, he'd have fantastic gap control he'd manage to get the puck and then he'd hold on to it, not for like a second too long, but for like six seconds too long. And he'd end up getting stripped of the puck. And I was like, what are you doing? 
he'd stand there and have like a perfect outlet pass and then double and triple and quadruple guess himself yeah, and end up getting stripped of the puck. And that was just, <laughs> I, I, I had no idea what I was watching. Cause he looked like, I mean, his gap control was better than Tyler Myers's by a mile and a half. But, he hits, just, but yeah. as soon as he, as soon as he got the puck on his stick, he had, he just froze. It's like somebody scared him somewhere down, probably in Toronto. But Think, what do I do get, now? We did just get another question. We did just get another question for you. Uh, Jay uh, Bowman oh, has decided oh. to ask which Mighty Ducks goalie did Wyatt prefer, Goldberg or Julie the Cat? There's only one right answer here, and it's not Goldberg, it's, by the way. Um, yeah, it's Julie the Cat. You know what I hate that save? The entire crowd just staring as if they didn't know where the puck went. It was in her glove. Like, come on. <laughs> And just this, like her sitting there, like where is? Oh, come on, Julie, it was in your glove. You knew it. it wasn't, I think it wasn't Goldberg always. Came, the mistake Goldberg tonight was came having to camp out of shape. That's true. That is true. Goldberg came out of camp shape. So I'll give her, I'll give Julie's conditioning an A plus. <laughs> the mistake was clearly having you come on the podcast without my daughter, who's also been like spitting her Mighty Ducks takes this week. So no, we could have we could have argued uh, Mighty Ducks all night, believe me. <laughs> All right. So looking at looking ahead, obviously, Vancouver's in a they're they're in the best position I think I've seen them in in what five, six years. Uh even if we look at that twenty fifteen playoff run, that was kind of they I think they took that a little too much as a sign of progress, you know, took a couple steps back after that. But where where do they go from here? We've talked about the goaltending, we've talked about how they need that demon. We've we've talked about Jake Vertanen. Where's this team headed? Do you think it's do you think there there's any other big holes they're they're missing and it can be Louis Erickson's contract? That's <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. Um, I mean, there's there's good and bad news. I think if you look at like the the warning stories of 2015 of the Calgary Flames of a team that looked like they were on the cusp of this great young core, we're going to take the next step, and then it all fell apart. Uh, you know, John Weisbrod being a part of all this is not at all scary for Vancouver fans. Um, so you look at the the team now, and I think the good news is that they are able to do this with their young core, fueling everything. It was Elias Patterson, it was Quinn Hughes, uh, you know, it was J.T. Miller, Bo Horvat, um, and Brock Besser to an extent. They were the guys that were like really pushing the needle for this team. So even if you kind of surround this team with bad decisions, they can still kind of take you, you know, a couple rounds. But the bad news is that how do you make the next step? And unfortunately, that involves solving a lot of their cap issues, which Jim Benning hasn't shown himself in Vancouver to be much like has free agency has not been a strong game. Um, so now we're trying to tell him like, you've got to do a lot of stuff that involves getting rid of contracts. So now he's got to figure a way out to, yeah, can you get rid of a Louis Erickson contract? Can you get rid of a Brandon Sutter contract? Um, why are you paying <laughs> Jay Beagle $3 million? Like even what Roussel, who I love as a player and talking to him, like he's I can't believe I forgot about Brandon Sutter. Yeah, you mentioned him. That was that was a whipping boy for a while there. I feel like he's sort of faded into the like in the list of problems. He's no longer even in the top five or ten. And that's amazing to me. That kind of kind of bleak. Yeah. Yeah. He's got he had a good series against St. Louis. Um, uh, So like people are like, oh, look, that's the real Brandon Sutter. But then, you know, St. Louis wasn't necessarily fast. And then Vegas comes along and you're like, oh, yeah, Brandon Sutter is still slow. So it's it's one of those <laughs> things where, like, even Adam Gaudet, who, like, fans loved in this, season, this year, like, he, you know, didn't do a whole lot in the playoffs. Because he's a young kid. He's not ready. And, like, a lot of people are, like, looking at the roster going, like, oh, Pat Colson will jump in. Hoglander will jump right in. And, like, you know, Rathbone's going to be a great player. Like, a lot of people kind of overestimate that these players will come in and make an impact right away. Like, Joe Levy, he's ready to go now. Like, okay, well, a lot of times it doesn't work that way. If you look at any team's roster or any draft page from like five years ago, you look at like the success rate, it's very low. The NHL is a very hard league. So it's not like you can just jump in and get these bonafide players right away. So Vancouver's got to find a way to move that money. And with a flat cap, it's going to be tough. Um, so Vancouver fans were worried that Jim can't pull it off. Yeah, there's probably a good reason to worry about that. Like even if he was the most astute trader in the world, <laughs> our team's going to want to take on contracts. Are you going to want to like what do you have to pay to get rid of Lou Erickson's contract, right? Like, the, everyone goes with the idea, the fancy idea, like, Ottawa will take your contract, they're the garbage hole, give them your contract, they'll be happy to get to the cap floor with your contract, but it's not going to be that easy. So, like, look at what, you know, Toronto had to do to get rid of Patrick Marlowe. Like, it's it's just, and Patrick Marlowe was far more valuable at the time than Lou Erickson is right now. So, I, I don't know, it's going to be tough for Jim Benning, but if he wants to fix his bottom six in defense, it all starts with making room in the salary cap for this team. Do you think that, 
you, you talked about how some of these guys fell short of expectations during this playoff run. I know that the argument of whether or not this these playoffs have an asterisk next to them, like, fuck that, we're done with that argument. But do you think that the performances from the playoffs deserve a bit of an asterisk, asterisk next to them just because of, like you said, they had so many back-to-backs in weird situations and they're playing in the bubble after having this big break. Do you think that the playoffs were a good evaluator of who was ready and who wasn't? Yeah, I'd, I'd put an asterisk on this playoffs for being harder to win. Like, look at the team back who say they magically won the cup. They had to win a playoff round, too, to get in in the first place. Like, it's definitely a tough scenario. I, Yeah, the, the fan crowd's not there. Maybe there's a bit less pressure because you know you're not having people boo your every move if you screw up. But <laughs> in, in terms of, like, just, you know, the level of intensity we've seen, like, I think it's with any playoffs. There's going to be a level of luck and chaos to any playoff run. Like, we see it every year. I don't think it's any different this year. So... I think it's been a fine example of teams. I don't think I would take the results from this year and write them off at all. I'd be like, no, that like, like even normal playoffs, one team can go to a big run and then disappear for years. That's just the way the league works, right? So um, I think it's been a lot fun, more fun than I thought it would be. I think there's been a lot of good hockey out there. There's been a couple of bad games here and there, but overall, I think it's been, you know, I wouldn't put any asterisks on these playoffs. Yeah, it's I I mean that's my I going into it I was like when they first announced it I was like how is this going to work and but you know what it, it's it's been really fun to watch I think and it's I mean they've done a great job keeping everyone safe and I think that was also like a huge concern which so that's a, I mean no players have tested positive for covid in months basically since they've gotten into the bubble and so um yeah and I I agree with you that it's it's it does seem like it may be uh, a harder cup to win, but I'm also just saying that because I'm an Islanders fan, so... <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry about Tampa. Oh, man, did they bring it. <laughs> uh, well, Great it's, point. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was like, well, that's another thing where they, like, they played a double overtime game on Thursday, played a game seven on Saturday, and then Sunday you got to fly 2,000 miles to Edmonton, which, like, not taking anything away from Tampa. They, they're, Tampa's the best team they've played all playoffs. Tampa looks like They've exercised whatever demon they had from last year, and they're just like they're done screwing around. And I, I, I mean, they dismantled Boston. Uh, who else? They mean Columbus and those yeah. two teams. Yeah, they were in the round. They're knocking off their teams left and right. Yeah, yeah. Stamkos. Yeah, Stamkos is the bad luck thing. That's what it is. <laughs> that, that's, and they they put up eight without Stamkos. So I mm-hmm. mean, I don't think the whole series will go like that. I think you know, obviously adjustments will be made, but. Uh, yeah, so the playoffs definitely count, and if the Islanders win, it definitely it like counts even more. Hundred <laughs> percent, I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the playoffs count this year. The Bruins are out, the Coyotes are out. I have I have <laughs> zero reason to watch them anymore. My I, heart's broken. The Bruins being out made it even better. It was just fantastic yeah. to see that. Yeah. Anytime Marchand's sad, I'm happy. Oh, <sighs> crying, crying Marchand is like. The right of passage now in Vancouver to post that after the Bruins get eliminated. Uh, oh, I always forget that Haiti, it can, Vancouver hates Boston. More than anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Always oh, yeah. That. What's amazing is got a job, many, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that. How many Canucks fans are fine with me at this point? But I, I think a lot of them don't realize what team I, I grew up with, so... Yeah, maybe I don't think they just, it enough, and I think we try to ignore it because you're nice, but if you push it too far... <laughs> If I start if I start doing live Twitch streams in a Marshan shirt, you guys will be done with me. Yeah, exactly. There's a line. Just don't don't go cross that line. <laughs> don't cross that line. <laughs> All right. So we usually, uh, besides hockey, and uh, sorry if we're taking up uh, too oh, much no, your time right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we always we always we always bring up music. So what are you listening to these days? Uh, I was listening to last night a 90s throwback playlist, um, and then I found out that Sum 41, a band that I really enjoyed uh, a long time ago, they had put out like four new albums, so I started listening Wait, to Sum 41's two albums. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 had, they, had, they had one last year. Yeah, think? it was pretty good. Really? really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, their lead guitarist came back. Yeah. Um, I saw them a couple years ago, and they played uh, Does This Look Infected front to back, and that was pretty oh, nice. nice. Yeah. I clearly right. didn't get the memo that they uh, they had a new album. I was too busy listening to the new Devil Wears Prada album last year. So <laughs> I like bringing that up just because I can I can feel you cringe through I, the recording, and it 
it warms my heart every time I feel you cringe like that. I remember it I saw me listen that. to that album more and more every time it upsets you. They were like one of the bands like I walked past during Warp Tour, like when you're walking past the stage, and it's just like it was just like kids beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> I was one of those. <laughs> like it was like the definition of like slam dancing, and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> That's what I grew up with. That's what I like. Sorry. All right. And then we also always ask our uh, guests, what do you think was a better, like, pop punk rock opera? Uh, Green Day's American Idiot or My Chemical Romance's Black Parade? Oh, that's a great question. There's Uh, only one right answer, though. But it's Vancouver, and the holiday was the goal song for so long, so I go with American Idiot. Everyone says American Idiot. Everyone says yeah. American Idiot. You are you're correct. That is yep. the correct answer. Thank you. Yep. I'm not picking Adam, the right Adam. guess. <laughs> I think I think I'm like a hundred for a hundred with this question. <laughs> like, no, somebody gave us both. So yeah, someone did. Somebody tossed me a bone. Uh, boys, what was the last show you went to before the world got on fire? Sorry, what was that? What was the last show you went to before the world set on fire? Show like movie concert or what? Concert, yeah. Oh, I've been in concert a long time. Um, I think the last one I saw was Bon Jovi in Vancouver was there. So <laughs> I saw Bon Jovi. It's a lot of <laughs> lot of leopard print and leather jackets that didn't fit as well anymore. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was it was a good time though. Like I enjoyed it. I think That's the other one amazing. was Pitbull. Uh, it was also really fun. Pitbull put in a good show. I'll give him that. Pitbull did a good job. <laughs> did he really? He did a really good job. Like, he was a lot of energy, man. He was Tyler Maude. He came out there, did a lot of good things. But yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Pitbull is Tyler Mott. Wow. Yes, you know he's he's you know don't pay him too much, but you know he's got energy. Mikey, Uh, what was the last show you went to? Was it against me? Me? Yeah. Uh, the last show I went to was um this uh, band called the Menzingers, which are like an alternative punk band from uh, they're from Philly. Uh, they're for like you know it's like washed up late 20 30 year old music so it's like the That's band you, right up your alley yeah you stand in the back <laughs> and drink pbr and salt <laughs> speaking of tyler mott did he ruin did he kill jordan Bing, uh bennington oh man bennington looks so sad that was great Vancouver fans have a huge rivalry with him just because he had those comments while he thought he should have won the calder so it's been he's like been like prime meme material for all of Vancouver. So seeing people, him just get people really don't like him, huh? I hate him here, man. Like he was the number one source of a lot of uh, a lot of chirping, a lot of trash talk in Vancouver. So to have him like and he put up horrid stats, the worst of any goalie this playoff round. He just got like he was not into it. So uh, yeah, I think uh, that was you know Bo Horvat tro dragging past people and scoring on him. It was like every goal seemed to go under his blocker stick side. Uh, yeah, it was it was not. Uh, and they just traded. Uh, yeah, Allen's gone to Montreal. Y- to Montreal, which that was a weird trade too. I think. Uh, I kind of liked that trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I I get it. Like in terms of like a workload for Price, maybe because he is getting older, right? And you know, you again, you don't want your goalie to play seventy games anymore. You kind of want a one A, one B type thing. But uh, I don't know. He's making kind of a lot for a backup now, right, Alan? Yeah. Yeah. paid. You can't talk to her about this. She wants all the goalies to get all the money. Eddie Black was on Twitter today saying that Marks should be paid. They're all sticking together. <laughs> I mean, typical. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's the thing, Jake Allen, one of the weirdest guys I've ever talked to. Like, easily weirdest goalie. Talk to Anton Hedobin, who's like a different type of weird. Anton Hedobin talks to you about the meaning of life and why he became a goalie because he didn't want to play out anymore. And he kept like skating back to the crease until his coach finally let him stay there. Whereas like Jake Allen played a game against the Coyotes where in peak Coyotes fashion, they only took like 13 shots because that's their favorite thing to do. And we asked him about it. We were like, you know, does it make it? We, we we kind of fed him, right? We were like, it, does, does that make it harder to stay in the game? Did it did it make those saves that much more important when you did finally get a shot against just getting these big, like, two and three and four-minute stretches in between shots? And he just blinked at us really slowly, kind of like a, like a sleepy camel or something, and he went, I'll be 
totally honest with you guys. When I'm playing a game, I don't know what the score is. I don't know how many shots I faced. I don't even look at it. I don't know if we're winning or losing. And I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Just the weirdest answer anyone's ever given. Nice guy, but like just super bizarre. So like, I'm happy that he's getting out of a situation where it's it's not even just about him, whether he's being paid enough or not. I don't care at this point, but in St. Louis, he was not going to be the starter. Like he just, he's not starter material. He does well in a tandem and they just kept trying to push him into that role. And he kept saying like, no, thank you, please, you know, and handing it back. And I think at that point, you know, they have a couple other young guys coming up in the system in St. Louis. And at some point there was going to continue to be that rivalry there. My just, my biggest question now is Jake Allen's goalie coach was David Alexander. Like that was, that was a summer guy. That's, that's who he kind of like bringing Ian Clark in to help with Vancouver and bringing, when they brought uh, John Elkin in in Arizona, that's the summer guy for for Mike Smith. They brought him in to try and help Mike Smith out. They brought David Alexander in to try and help out Jake Allen, and now he's going to be in a different country with a different team with with a fan base that is not necessarily known for being gentle. Um, <laughs> I think that's I think I think that's hazard pay for him at this point is dealing with the Vancouver or I'm sorry, the Montreal fans for whatever they're going to throw at him, but he's only going to be there for this, the 2021 season. He's a free after. Yes. Yeah. That's I I don't think he'd stick around longer, but Montreal had to do that. I mean, Keith Kincaid is, and I'll, I'll get roasted for this. I don't care. Keith Kincaid's not an NHL goalie. He's he's kind of, kind of an NHL backup at best. Uh, I think he's a tweener. He's, should be in the AHL most of the time. It's a New and York boy right there. I know he's a New York boy right there. He's he's not a good goalie. <laughs> Didn't he veto Eddie Lack for a job? What are we saying here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, when they brought him in, in in Montreal and everybody thought he was the savior and he played like one good game and they, they wanted to oust Price. And so it's nice seeing like a legitimate number two come in with Carey Price because they keep trying to play these AHL guys behind him. And hey, I just don't think that's that's how it works. But, but now you have almost fifteen million dollars wrapped in two. That's okay. Of course. That's okay. You you know how much money the Blackhawks have wrapped up in Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze? Sometimes mean, sometimes you gotta pay a little to but, you know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> Um, all right. So I guess moral of the story is, you know, pay your goalies. Yeah. Whatever they want. Whatever they want. Just whatever they want. Let, blank check. They want blank check. We'll sign it. Blank check. <laughs> they just logo. It worked out real well here. <laughs> <laughs> Still paying for it to this day. Poor Lulu. Like, he's, he's never going to live that down. When he retired, uh, my, my buddy, uh, Guy, guy who got drafted by the Canucks ages ago, you know, he and I were sitting there talking and he was like, hey, look, Luongo just retired. And we look at Twitter and sure enough, he'd retired. And we looked at the comments and the first like 15 were Canucks fans yelling at him about the cap recapture penalty. And I was like, never change, guys. Yeah. <laughs> How's that his fault? <laughs> yeah. It's not his fault. <laughs> But before we let you go, uh, since we're talking about goalies making money and we talked about Mike Smith and his scary eyes, I'll I'll let you go on your prediction. Who is going to sign Mike Smith this offseason and how much are they going to pay him? Who is desperate enough to want Mike Smith? I don't know if we assume Ottawa is desperate for all this. Um, No, who's going (laughs) to (laughs) sign It's possible. That has Ottawa written all over. I know. That's an Ottawa signing. I don't know if a playoff team is going to want to invest in Mike Smith at this point. Um, I'm going to stick with Ottawa. Yeah, Ottawa. Yeah. 1.5. I think Craig Anderson's done. And I I think Craig Anderson's like, I've I've had enough. And like, God bless him because he's, you know, uh, yeah, I think that that has Mike Smith all all, written all over it. That's spicy. (laughs) God, what a way to end. I love that. All right. Well, we'll we'll let you go here. Thank you so much for your time. Where where can all of our listeners, all all 
five of them, where, where can they find you? Where can they find your work? Where can they find you on social media? Uh, you get me on Twitter at the stanchion. Uh, I won't bother with Instagram because this is pictures of my dog. And then uh, I write for the athletic, but I just do the game army recap. So there'll be no writing for a little while. Been a bit of a break. So uh, yeah, for now you can relive that game seven of the Canucks versus Vegas. If you want to hear about a recap of like 14 shots. It's pretty good. Are you done? So, watching? You, go ahead. So yeah. until you, until you write your next army, the, you know, in the, the upcoming season, does that mean that your Twitter is just going to be sad goalie memes? I'm sending sad goalies to you every chance I get. Anytime I see, especially with Lundqvist. Something about Lundqvist when he's sad. I love sending him the most to you. I don't know why. God, <laughs> that's, that's the most heartbreaking one, too. Because he always looks, he looks so desolate. The only one that's been sadder is when Corey Crawford lay there across the crease when, I, when he scored that last goal. And he just... He's just draped there. Like I'm, I'm done with this shit. That my, that one was sadder than than any Lundqvist you've sent me. My favorite sad goalie of all time is Felix Poppin when the Canucks beat him. Like he slumped over his net and he didn't even have time to get sad because then the rinker runs out and takes his net away. <laughs> the greatest thing I've ever seen. That's that's the worst. You shouldn't you shouldn't get so much joy in, in goalies being sad. They 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 should use skin. All right, well, thank you again so much. Uh, have a yeah, wonderful. thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on.